thank you, uh, worship team. I often get the joy of preaching with a cold. I can't imagine singing with a cold, so uh, thank you to them. That's a Willis Reed-like effort for us. Uh, if you have children that are going to children's church, they can dismiss out the back uh, with Miss Melody. If your children are staying in the service with us, we love that. There are activities on the back table that they can grab and they can take back to their uh, seat. There's also a sermon notes designed for them that they can use uh, throughout the sermon. Um, if you haven't been with us recently, we are in part three of our series on the Sermon on the Mount. Uh, this sermon is Jesus' first recorded discourse in the book of Matthew, and it is his longest recorded teaching in the Gospels. Uh, we began uh, two weeks ago in Matthew uh, chapter 5, verse 1, with the Beatitudes, and we spent uh, two weeks looking at those eight Beatitudes that Jesus shared. Um, and in the first four Beatitudes, Jesus describes the way that we come to God and the incredible grace we receive uh, when we come to him. He says, blessed are the poor in spirit, to those who recognize their sin. Blessed are those who mourn or grieve over their sin because they recognize their need for forgiveness. Then he says, blessed are those who are meek or those that surrender their ways to follow God's. And then finally he says, blessed are those that hunger and thirst for what is right. And these first four Beatitudes focus on our weakness and our great need as we come to Jesus. And then the amazing grace and forgiveness and new life he offers. So if you're here today and you don't know Jesus as your Lord and Savior, and you've, but you've recognized your sin and recognized your need for forgiveness, then Jesus there would call you blessed. And the Bible tells us that if you, if we will confess our sin and turn from our sin and ask Jesus for forgiveness and make him the Lord of our lives, then we will be forgiven. He has made a way for forgiveness. You just have to accept his gift. And so that's you. Will you trust him today? So that was the, the first four of the Beatitudes, how we come to Jesus. The next four Beatitudes, which we looked at last week, was a shift from our weakness and need to the transformation or the characteristics we are to display as his followers. When we come to God through Jesus' sacrifice on the cross, cross, when we receive his forgiveness, the Bible tells us God gives us the Holy Spirit and he changes our lives. And the Holy Spirit working in, in us allows us to live out those final four Beatitudes. It leads us to be merciful. It leads us to be forgiving and, and showing mercy just as we've been forgiven. It leads us to be pure in heart. We talk about how, how when we follow Jesus, we get a new heart and we can follow him with integrity and single-mindedness. Following Jesus calls us to be peacemakers, meaning we walk through this life looking to make peace with others, looking to make peace between others and sharing the gospel so that others can be at peace with God. And then finally, we fought, when we follow Jesus, we are promised that we will face suffering and persecution. But Jesus says we do so with rejoicing because we get to suffer just as Jesus who had suffered. And it's these final four Beatitudes that are the foundation for the next four verses that we're going to look at today. Um, today's passage is a familiar one if you've been around the church. It might even be familiar if you are new to church. But in this passage, Jesus is going to call us as followers of Jesus, those of us that are Christians, to be salt and light in this world. Meaning that we are to look different and our lives are to point people to him and his saving grace. But the primary ways we are to be different are found in those final four Beatitudes we saw last week. I mean, think about it. If we are a people that show mercy, a people who live pure lives with integrity, if we are a people that are peacemakers and we are willing to rejoice in our suffering, then we will look different than the world. And God promises here that it, he will use that to change the world around us and bring him glory. 
So that's the foundation for today's message. If you'll turn to Matthew chapter 5, beginning in verse 13, we will read through verse 16. Jesus says to his followers, you are the salt of the earth. But if the salt loses its saltiness, how can it be made salty again? It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled underfoot. You are the light of the world. A town built on a hill cannot be hidden. Neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it on its stand and it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. Let's pray. Dear Lord, we thank you for this incredible just passage of Scripture that we have gotten to study. Lord, we thank you for uh, the Beatitudes and kind of the roadmap you have given us for how we are called to live. Lord, and we thank you for this calling and purpose that you have placed on our lives. God, I pray that as we study today's, uh, today's words and study this passage of Scripture, Lord, that you would speak to us. I pray that you would reveal those areas where you are calling us to, to shine and, and to be salt. God, that you would reveal those areas where maybe we are uh, living much more like the world than you. And so, God, I pray that you would just speak to us today and that you would call us to deeper faith. I pray that you would help us to recognize and see the incredible calling and purpose that you have placed on our lives. God, I pray that you help us to see the value that we are to you and the value of the mission and the value that the mission is to you. So, God, I pray that you would just speak to us today and that you would use your word. In your name we pray. Amen. So before we just jump into the heart of this illustration, I want to draw out one really significant truth for us that I think we can really easily look over. Jesus says here that you are the salt of the earth. You are the light of the world. Jesus says here that as my followers, this is who you are. This is not optional. This is who we are and who we are called to be as Christians. And so our our first point is simple but profound, and it's just that God has a purpose for your life, or God has a purpose for my life. There is a reason that God doesn't take us to heaven the moment that we put our faith in him. And that reason is we are called to shine his light and share his hope with the world around us. God has saved us, you see, not just for us, but he has saved us and he keeps us here for the benefit of others. The reality is Jesus is the light of the world. He is the hope of the world. But Jesus is not physically walking into your office. He is not joining your shift at the mine. He is not moving into your neighborhood. He is not coaching your child's team or joining your friend group. But he has placed you there. You are called to be his light to the mine, to the office, to the softball team, to the neighborhood, to your friend group, to your family. God has given every single thing you do purpose. And that purpose is to point people to him and to shine his light wherever you go. You have a purpose in everything you do and everywhere you go. And that is to shine and reflect the light of Jesus to the world around you. You have purpose. And Jesus says, you are the light of the world. You are the representative of Jesus the world sees each and every day. For many people in your life, they may never open a Bible. They will probably never show up here at church. But they know you and they know you are a follower of Jesus. And it is your life, your words, your actions, whether you like it or not, is how they know, how they experience Jesus in their lives. So Jesus says, let your lives shine and point people to the hope available in him. Jesus here says to his disciples, and he says to us, this is not an option, but this is who we are and who we're called to be. So what does it mean to be salt and light? Verse 13, you are the salt of the earth. 
But if the salt loses its saltiness, how can it be made salty again? It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled underfoot. So you and I are the salt of earth. That is our call. That is who we are. But what does it mean? What does salt do? Well, today, salt has many of the same uses that it did 2,000 years ago. But its value and significance has been lost in its commonality and in some of the technological advances of the past 2,000 years. So for a moment, let's try to step back and understand the significance of salt in Jesus' culture, as well as the significance of the call in our life. And the first thing we see when we step back in time is that salt, during Jesus' day, was valuable. Today, salt is far from valuable, isn't it? Right, you can buy table salt for the year for like five bucks. But in ancient times, salt was very valuable because of its rarity and because of its many uses that we will see. There are stories of Roman soldiers who were literally being paid their wages in salt. You've probably heard the expression, he is worth his salt. That's where it comes from. And so when Jesus says we are the salt of the earth, he is comparing us and comparing our mission to something that was of great value. Something that was very precious. And again, this is one of those pretty significant but straightforward points. But as followers of Jesus, we have great value to God. And he places great value on the mission he has given us. We are not insignificant in our call. Our mission is not insignificant. And so that's our next point. As followers of Jesus, we are valuable and our mission is precious to God. And the Bible tells us this over and over. Right, the story of the Bible is that Jesus so loved us, so valued us, that he gave his life so that we could be forgiven for our sins. You are loved, you are valued, and you have been given an important purpose, an important task in this life. And so those are two foundational truths to our lives that we see right away in this passage. As followers of Jesus, we are valued, we are loved, and we have an important task, an important purpose in this life. We are God's plan for sharing his message with the world. Isn't that incredible? You and I, we're just regular people. We are his plan for sharing his hope and his life with the world. Again, if you step back in context, this is even more amazing. You think about who Jesus is talking to here. Scholars say that his 12 disciples would have been there for this message. And they estimate maybe somewhere between one and 200 casual followers were there. And Jesus stands up before these people. I mean, these people that are regular people, fishermen and just tax collectors, normal people. And Jesus has the audacity to say to these few regular people, you are my plan to change the world. Right? I'm sure the scope of this went over their heads. And yet God did indeed change the world with these few regular men and women gathered on a hill in Galilee. And that's what he speaks over us today. God loves us as his followers. He values us and he desires to use us today to change lives and to change the world by simply living for him and sharing his good news. So how do we do it? That's what we see in this salt and light. Well, perhaps the most important thing salt did in their culture was it preserved things. Right? They didn't have modern refrigeration, so meats and other foods were packed in salt to slow the decay and preserve the good. And so that's our next point. As followers of Jesus, we are called to be a preserving influence in the world. As Christians, we act as salt in the world when we stand up for what is right, for what is true. When we live pure lives, when we are peacemakers, and when we show mercy to others. Salt is a preservative that delays corruption and decay. Salt, I mean, you think about it, it's built into the rocks and soil around us. It filters the water running through them. The world could not survive for very long without salt. 
In the same way, as Christians, we are to be a preserving influence in our culture. We are to fight against moral corruption. We are to stand up for justice for the vulnerable. We are to show mercy to the needy. We are to stand for what is right. We are to make a difference. But here's the deal. We can't do that if we are never in the world or never in the culture. If we never leave the safety of the comfortable. And we can't do that if we live lives that look just like the rest of the world. In John 17, starting in verse 15, Jesus prays for his disciples. He prays for his followers that would come. This is his prayer. He says, my prayer is not that you take them, that's us, out of the world, but that you protect them from the evil one. They are not of the world, even as I am not of it. Sanctify, that means grow them by the truth. Your word is the truth. As you sent me into the world, I have sent them into the world. For them I sanctify myself that they too may be truly sanctified. Note here that Jesus doesn't say, God, bring them home quickly. He doesn't say, protect them from the people of that evil world. He doesn't say, give my people comfort and ease. But instead, he says, I don't desire to take them out of the world, but instead I am sending them to the world. I am sending them to be light, truth, salt to the world. Jesus prays, Father, I send them. Father, grow them, mature them in their faith, teach them what is right. Father, protect them from the evil one. Protect them from Satan. Do you see that? Jesus has a purpose and a mission for your life. And you can only do that if you are sent. And the promise is, as you are sent, he prays for you. He leads you. And, he is, and there's the element of the sinning that helps us to grow to be more like him. Because he too was sent. You can't be salt if you are never sent to the world. You can't be salt to the world if you never leave the safety of the salt shaker. I had a conversation this week with a friend back in Oregon. He's one of my mentors, and uh, he's a pastor there. And I was talking to him, and his daughter is a senior in high school, and she's getting ready for college, and she wants to be a teacher. And he was telling me that she is adamant that she wants to teach in the public schools when she graduates. If you know anything about Oregon public schools, uh, they are not Wyoming public schools. And her reason was this. She said, Dad, if all of the Christians leave the public schools, then who is going to be there to point them to the truth? In other words, who's going to preserve uh, the, 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 what is right in the schools? That's just one example. I'm not saying here that blankly the public schools are for everyone. God calls us different things. It really has nothing to do with schools. But it's such a great example, a beautiful example of a young kid making a conscious decision to be sent, to be salt, to stand for Jesus, to take the harder road for the sake of others, not herself. To help to preserve what is right in that environment. Because there's great truth in that. If every Christian stopped working in the world, if every Christian stopped shopping in the world, if every Christian stopped living in the world, then who would preserve our society? Who would keep it grounded somewhat in the truth and morals of the Bible? As Christians, we are sent to wherever we go, and we are called through the way we live, talk, and act to preserve the culture we are in. You are sent by Jesus to be salt. To act as a preserving agent at your school, at your workplace, in your neighborhood, at the ball fields, on the golf course, in the gym, in your organization. You are sent, and you are sent for a purpose. The second primary thing salt does, and it still does it today, is it flavors. And so our next point is this. As followers of Jesus, our lives should attract people to Jesus. Now, there are some people out there that you can't get enough salt in your food, right? You love that flavor, and there's people that dump the salt on before you even taste it. 
Right? That's, that's not necessarily who I am, but there are some foods that are in need of a touch of salt. And adding salt sometimes not only adds the salty flavor, but it draws out the flavors of all the other ingredients. Salt flav- helps to flavor the whole dish. And even when you're baking, you even put a touch of salt in your cupcakes or your cookies to bring out the flavor. In the same way, when we as Christians live our lives following Jesus, showing mercy, being peacemakers, loving others, being patient, showing humility, being honest and trustworthy, as we live our lives just simply exhibiting the characteristics of Jesus, we should, and Jesus says, we will attract people to him. We should flavor, we should make where we live, where we work, where we do life, we should make it better. Our neighborhood, our workplace, our schools, our rec sports teams, our our community should be better because we are here. So as Christians, we are to not just have an influence in the world, but we are to have a positive influence. Christians should be active in the world and exercise a positive influence in all levels of society. And Jesus says that people will see it and they will be attracted by it. In 1 Peter 3.15, Peter writes, But in your hearts revere Christ as Lord. And always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope that you have. Peter here implies that if we live for Jesus, people will notice and they will want to know what is different about us. And so as you think about your own life, are you a good neighbor? Are you a good employee, a good friend, a good coach? Do you stand out for Jesus in an attractive way? Does your life look different than the world around you? Are you in the world enough for anyone to even notice? And lastly, maybe the real litmus test is this. When was the last time someone asked you about what makes you different? Or asked you about Jesus and the hope you have in him? So that's a call. We are to attract people by the way we live, by the way we talk, by the way we love, by the way we share. And Jesus says when we do that, people will be attracted to him. But Jesus doesn't stop there, does he? He doesn't say that we can only have a positive influence, but he moves on to what can be the negative influence of a life not lived for him, a life that does not live sent. He concludes this illustration with a warning. He says that when the salt loses its saltiness, it becomes useless and even detrimental. So that's our next point. Unsalty Christians, Jesus says, are useless. They lose their purpose and they lose their mission. If salt loses its saltiness, then it loses its purpose, right? Saltiness is the purpose of salt. In the same way, Jesus says the purpose of the church and the purpose of the Christian is to act like Jesus. And if we stop acting like Jesus, if we stop living sent like Jesus has called us to live, we lose our effectiveness for the kingdom, for the mission, and for the purpose we were created for. Now just to clarify, Jesus is talking about compromise and influence here. He's not talking about your salvation. He's talking about how we can lose our influence and effectiveness for him. When the church and when individuals make moral compromises to fit in with the world, we are no longer acting as salt in the world. We're no longer acting as a preserving agent, as an attractant, as Jesus before the world. Right? The world doesn't need the church and it doesn't need Christians to be more like the world. But Jesus says the world needs us to be more like him. When we act like everyone else, we lose our saltiness. And we do that in two ways. First, when we act like the world, we lose our reputation. That's what Jesus says when we can't be made salty again. When the church loses its reputation, it's hard to get back. You guys know this, and I think it's magnified in a small town. Social circles are so small and intertwined. 
When we lose our reputation, it is so hard to get it back. When we talk about, we travel and we talk about ministry and reaching a community in a small town, we always say the two biggest things you have are relationships and your reputation. And when we go out into the world and live just like the world while claiming to be followers of Jesus, we lose the respect of those around us. Those around us may not follow Jesus themselves, but they know who Jesus is and what they have ideas of what Christians should act like. Now, we'll never obviously be perfect without sin on this side of eternity, but if your language is the same as everyone else at work, if you're the leader of the gossip ring in your friend group, if you're arrogant and obnoxious and don't care about other people, if you're out drinking your buddies and ignoring your family, if you're reckless with your life and your finances and your relationships, just like the world is, then you have lost your saltiness. You've lost your witness. You have lost your reputation. Your friends may love you. They may love hanging out with you. But they're not going to listen to you tell them about how Jesus changed your life when your life looks just like theirs. Loving people where they are without strings attached is a good thing, but it doesn't mean you have to compromise your life to do so. Compromise always leads to the compromise of your reputation and the compromise of your purpose and mission. Fowler concludes his point on this with this statement. He says, and then secondly, when the church loses its saltiness, it loses its mission, its purpose. That's what Jesus means. He says it's no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled by men. Christians have a mission to bring the gospel of Jesus to the world. But when you lose your saltiness, you lose your mission. And when you lose your mission, you lose your unique purpose that God has created you for. When the church loses its mission, it is no longer good for anything. Our mission is to be in the world but not of the world. Salt does no good when it never leaves. So get out of the salt shaker and into the world, he says. We are the salt of the earth. So we need to be scattered throughout society, cleansing, preserving, adding flavor as Christians in the world. And we need to stay salty, he says. Because when the church loses its saltiness, it loses its reputation and its mission. So we've been called to be salt to the world. We've been called to love the world, to preserve the world, and to point people to Jesus. But then there's this warning that if we are not living out the Beatitudes, if we are not showing mercy, if we are not living with purity of heart, if we are not thirsting for righteousness, if we are not living as peacemakers, then we will lose our saltiness. We will lose our reputation, our witness, our purpose. Then in verse 14, Jesus transitions from salt to light. He says, you are the light of the world. A town built on a hill cannot be hidden. Neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl, but instead they put it on its stand that gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. In John chapter 8, Jesus declared that he was the light of the world. John chapter 1 tells us he is the light, the hope of the world that has come to save the world. So Jesus is the light, but here he gives us this incredible command that we too are the light of the world. Again, it's not optional, but it's who we are. And we are not called or tasked with going and making our own light. But we are called to shine, to reflect the light, the hope of Jesus to the world. Right, the best example of this in nature or in the world is probably the moon, right? The moon is not its own source of light, but instead it merely shines the light of the sun. In the same way, we are called to reflect, to showcase the light, the hope, the characteristics of Jesus to those around us. We are to be the everyday representatives of Jesus to the world around us. That's such an amazing call that God puts on us as regular people. Again, if you flash back to Jesus' time and culture, 
there were certain prominent rabbis or teachers, these special people that everyone thought was, were better than them. And they would give them this title, Light of the World. Spurgeon wrote, it was with great pomposity that they spoke of Rabbi Judah or Rabbi Jochanan as the lamps of the universe, the lights of the world. He said it must have sounded so strangely in the ears of the scribes and Pharisees to hear that same title, that same great elevated title in all soberness applies to these few bronze-faced peasants and fishermen who become the disciples of Jesus. Jesus has given us this great title, this great call, this incredible blessing and responsibility. We are option one. We, the church, follow Jesus, our plan A to reach the world with the gospel the hope of Jesus. This isn't a job reserved for prominent leaders. But this is our call, our job, our responsibility. And so our next point is just simply, we are the light of the world. So how do we do this? When Jesus talked about light, he was talking about a simple oil lamp that you could just hold in your hand. It would be the, uh, I brought, I think I got one here. It would be the equivalent of these simple candles that we use at our Christmas Eve service, right? And so Jesus here, he's not calling us to something crazy, but he is calling us to simply live our lives following him in the midst of a world that lives in darkness. I love how David Guzik explained this in his sermon. He said, as Christians, we are called to simply live how Jesus called us to live and to reflect his light. He says, the world doesn't need us to be high-powered flashlights that aggressively and obnoxiously shine in their eyes, 140,000 lumens. The world doesn't need us to be strobe lights that are constantly on and off and give everyone a headache. The world doesn't need us to be dimmer switch Christians who constantly adjust to the environment we are in. The world doesn't need us to live for Jesus on Sundays, but live just like the world the rest of the week. The world needs us to be constant, consistent light that just simply reflects Jesus each and every day. And we don't do that hidden in a corner, but from the lampstand in the world so that they can see him through us. We are the light, the hope of the world, because we point people to Jesus, the true light the true hope each and every day. So real quickly, three things light does that correlates with salt. First of all, light shines, right? Light stands out. When you light a candle in a dark room, everyone sees it. Even the smallest candle shines brightly in a dark room. As Christians, you will do this if you are living out the fruits of the Spirit. If you are showing mercy, if you are a peacemaker, if you are living with purity in heart, then you will shine in the darkness of the world. You will stand out simply by just living how Jesus has called you to live. Think about that image of a city on a hill, right? At Christmas tree, right? They light the Christmas tree on top of, of man's face. And you can see that Christmas tree all over town. That tree is not huge, but when it is lit in the darkness, it stands out. It cannot be hidden. In the same way, there should be something different about how you live, about your life. And if you live like Jesus, you will stand out. You don't have to be obnoxious. You will stand out just by following him. Secondly, light illuminates. We are to point people to God and his ways. Jesus is the true light, and we are to point people to him. Our lives should point people to Jesus and his truth and his way of life. Again, simply living like Jesus illuminates. It points people to him in a better way of life. Do people see Jesus in your life? Because if they, because if they cannot see Jesus in the Christians, then they certainly will not find him in the world. And then finally, light reveals. We are to show others how God wants us to live. G. Campbell Morgan said this, We are to show men what would result if all the world were obedient to the whisper of the throne of the Most High. 
So our next point is that as Christians, our lives should point people to Jesus, or they should, uh, they should shine, they should illuminate, and they should reveal Jesus. So we are simply called to follow Jesus in the world as we live our lives. And as we follow Jesus, we will shine his light in the world around us. We will point to people to him, we will illuminate the way, and we will show them how he desires for us to live. And in this illustration, unlike the salt, Jesus concludes not with a warning, but an encouragement to his followers. He says, if you are living for me, if you are being my light, then in the same way, he says, let your light shine before others so they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. Jesus says simply, if you live for me, people will see your good deeds and they will glorify your Father in heaven. First he says, people will see your good deeds. They will see the way you live. And the word here translated good, and this verse means attractive or pleasing, kind of like the salt. Not just talking about moral sense, but we are attractive in the way we live. And the emphasis here is that our works will help people. And that the present, the present, the Christian life is attractive, it's pleasing to others. When you let your light shine, people will see your good deeds. The testimony of your life should match the testimony of your lips. The world is attracted to Jesus rarely. Rarely do people come to Jesus just through exquisite preaching. Right? But the world is attracted primarily to Jesus first through the presence of a good friend. By a helping hand. By a shoulder to cry on. By a peacemaker in their lives. By a person of honesty in the midst of a world of self-advancement. People are attracted to Jesus by a person of light in the midst of the darkness. People should see, see by your life, by your good deeds, that you are a follower of Jesus. Secondly, Jesus says that they will see your good deeds. They will see you live for him, and it will cause them not to praise you, but to glorify and praise your Father in heaven. The motivation for living for Jesus is not the praise of man for ourselves. The motivation of living for Jesus, they, they might praise, that they might worship, that they might follow and know Jesus themselves. This is an interesting note, but this is the first time in Matthew that God is called our Father. What we see here is that good works don't make us a Christian. We can only be a Christian through Jesus' life, death, and resurrection. But our good works show the world that we are a follower of Jesus. When God's light shines through you, people will see you, Him in you. When people recognize you as God's children, they will praise God as your Father. When you fulfill your calling as a light in the world, you will bring glory to God. And ultimately, we do good works. We love others. We shine Jesus, not so they might see us, but so that they might see him. And that's our final point. We live for Jesus so that the world might know and glorify him. So as we begin to wrap up, as, as Melinda comes... Where and how is Jesus calling you to be salt and light to the world around you? He has given us as a church, and he's given you and I as his followers, a great responsibility, a great purpose, a great calling, and that is to be his light in our homes, his light to our families, and to be his light to our world. So how is he calling you to live for him this week? For you, maybe he's calling you to be sent He's calling you to be in this world so that people can see you and see the hope that you have in him. He's calling you to find ways to shine his light to the world around you. And maybe you're in the world, but he's calling you to live sent. He's calling you to live as a candle, simply reflecting his light as opposed to a dimmer switch Christian that lives one way on Sunday and lives totally different the rest of the week. Maybe he's calling you in some areas to live intentionally for him. 
He's calling you to follow his characteristics somewhere in your life. He's calling you to stop being a chameleon and looking like the world, but to live and look like him. He's calling you to intentionally show mercy this week or to be a peacemaker. An area where you need to live with integrity, to be kind. His promise is if you do, if you live like Jesus, people will see your good deeds and they will praise him. Lastly, maybe he's just asking you to share his story, to share his hope with a friend, to invite them to church, to, to, to follow him. Maybe there's someone that has asked you, where, where do you get your hope from? And you need to boldly share Jesus this week. I'm going to pray for us, and as I pray, after I pray, Melinda will play, and we'll just take a couple minutes to reflect. And as we reflect, my prayer is that God will speak to you, Lord, to you, and that you would have the courage to follow him in your life. Let's pray. Dear Lord, we thank you for who you are. God, we thank you that you have saved us and that you offer your salvation and forgiveness to anyone that will follow after you. God, I pray, I thank you that you save us and you don't just take us home, but that you save us and you transform our lives. That you give us the Holy Spirit to help us walk through this life following you. That you give us a, a pure heart that is able to, to follow you in all our ways. God, I pray and I thank you that you give us a purpose and a mission in this life. I think you don't call us just to float through this life, living for ourselves and just enjoying life, but you call us for a purpose and a mission. And that you've given every aspect of our life purpose. So God, I pray first and foremost that you would help us to see that call. To see how you have called us to our job, to our schools, to our recreation, to our, uh, to our work, to our wherever it is we go. That you have called us for a reason. God, I pray that you would help us to see every aspect of our life with intentionality. God, I pray that you would help us to live as light, to live as salt, to simply follow you, to follow your commands. God, I pray in these next few moments, I pray that you would reveal to us those areas where maybe we are not following you. Where we have turned our dimmer switch down and we are living like the world. God, I pray you would reveal those areas and you would call us to be like them. That you would give us the courage to make changes, no matter how uncomfortable they might be, to look more like you, to follow you better. And God, I pray that as you send us out, and that as we live for you, God, that people would see our good deeds and that they would know you, that they would praise you and they would glorify you. God, I pray that we would each be called your children because we reflect your goodness to the world around us. So God, I pray in these next few moments that you would just speak clearly to our hearts and that you would call us to be more like you. It's your name we pray. Amen.
Lord, again, we thank you for who you are. We thank you for the forgiveness that is available in you. God, we thank you for the call and purpose you put on our life. May we go and be your salt and your light this week. It's your name we pray. Amen. All right. Well, just a couple announcements before we uh, wrap up. First of all, if you're new to Living Hope Church, there should be a welcome card somewhere in the area of you. If you wouldn't mind filling that out and placing the box on the back table, we would appreciate it. Um, That's also where you can place your tithes and offerings if you consider this your church home. Uh, In terms of announcements, they're on the back of your sermon notes. But we have small group Bible study that meets here um, at the church on Sunday nights from 6 to 7. Uh, If you have questions about that, you can come and talk to me. We have youth group and kids night that meets Wednesday nights here at the church from 6 to 7. Uh, If you have questions about that, you can see me. Uh, You can talk to Mr. Justin about youth group or Ms. Smith. And, uh, yeah, if you have questions about that. Uh, Two other notes. Uh, Again, we have children's class that meet Sunday mornings. We're always in need of more helpers for that. If that's something you're interested in just helping with and serving, it requires a background check, but that is all. Uh, Melody's working on her spring schedule. Uh, If you're interested in that, come and see me, and I will point you to her. Uh, Also, it's always on there, but if you are interested in serving in any capacity on our worship team, we will take you uh, in any form. So you can come see me, and I will put you in touch uh, with Melody. Thank you so much for being here today. Uh, We pray and hope you have a great week, and we hope to see you again next week. You are dismissed.